Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Uh, we're going to continue in the book of John today. We'll be in John 16. We're going to take care of the, the latter part of John 16, starting in verse 16. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about today is the, this question. The question is this, what keeps people going in hard times? What keeps people going in hard times? We are in a collective hard time. We are in a time of frustration and confusion, a time where the future is not absolutely certain about how this or that will happen. As I speak to many of you in various jobs and in various professions, uh, it's, it's not exactly clear what is next during this pandemic. And so the question is, when things aren't going exactly the way that we would want them to go, or when things are uh, just a bit confusing, confusing, there's a, an extra layer of stress, if you will, what keeps people going in the middle of hard times? And I believe you could have multiple answers, but one I wanted to highlight today is hope. When you hear about people going through various trials from, from great seriousness to maybe things that just seem a bit annoying, the thing that keeps people going is the hope that something in the future will be better. And see, the sureness of one's hope is shown by whom or what they place their hope in and the likelihood of it coming to pass. And so, beloved, we're going to see that our Hope is in Jesus, and because our hope is in Jesus, we have a sure, steadfast, and reliable hope that can keep us going in the middle of hard times. So let's go to the text, John 16, 16. We'll read to verse 33. It says, In a little while, you will no longer see me. Again, in a little while, you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he's telling us? In a little while you will see me, not see me again. In a little while you'll see me. And because I'm going to the Father, they said, what is he talking about? In a little while, we don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. And so he said to them, are you asking one another about what I said? In a little while you will not see me again. In a little while you will see me. Truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now. But I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy from you. And that day you will not ask me anything. Truly, I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming where I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. On that day you will ask in my name, and I am not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and I believe that I come from God. I come from the Father, and I have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. 
his disciples said, look, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. But this we believe, that you came from God. Jesus responded to them, do you now believe? Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there are times when your word is, is not so straightforward and it's, it's not so clear and so we are asking by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would reveal your word to us. Would you give us grace to understand your word? That it would, it would pierce our hearts and that it would produce hope, faith, and obedience. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So we start out in verse 16. It says, in a little while you will no longer see me again. In a little while you will see me. This is Jesus predicting his death and resurrection. You know, it's kind of a confusing statement because it doesn't seem like he just comes right out and say it. But he is soon to be betrayed and killed. But he will come back. Now, the disciples had been listening. They would know what he was talking about because he said repeatedly that he would die and rise again. Over and over and over and over again. And every time he would say it, the disciples would be like, what? What are you talking about? I don't understand. Even when he would say it plainly. And there's two things I want us to get from that. One is this. Is that, that the more that we listen to Jesus, the more we understand. The more that we listen to Jesus, the more we understand. See, when you're first beginning to understand God, and you're first beginning to understand the Bible, you're first beginning to understand what he wants from you, you might understand just a little bit. Even though he, you might hear things, you're like, what is he talking about? I'm not sure. But the more we persevere in pursuing Jesus, the more that we understand what he's saying. And the next thing we understand is that Jesus does not give us false promises. If he says something is going to happen, it is going to happen. If he says that I am going to die and rise again, then the disciples should expect that to happen. We can cling to his promises because he is trustworthy. Now, that's the beginning of the, the passage. The end of the passage says something like this in verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I've, I've conquered the world. So he tells them about the circumstances and the events surrounding his work, his life, his death, so that they would have peace. So from the end of the passage, we understand how we should approach the whole thing. The context of what he said in the previous verses are meant to give us peace in the middle of trouble and suffering. So listen, the words of Jesus give us peace in the middle of suffering. We have a deep anchor in his word. We have a solid root in his word that though the waves may crash, we don't have to be tossed to and fro, and though the wind may blow, we do not have to be moved from the place that we stand. And beloved, the testimony of the saints, the testimony of the church proves this to be true. 
That in the middle of suffering and trial and tribulation, that your heart can remain at peace. How? It remains at peace through remembering his word. Now, I want you to understand, this is not simply uh, somebody told you a verse and that made everything okay. That, beloved, we have to wrestle with God's word. That when things are not going the way that we think they ought to be and trouble is all around us, it's not simply that I, I post a Bible verse on the wall and look at it from time to time, but I look at these verses of hope and peace and uncertainty and I say, is this true? I want this to be true. I want to meditate on this. I want to wrestle with it. I want it to sink down deep in my heart. We would wrestle with his word. There's a story. I love this story. It's a story in the Old Testament. And it's the story of, of Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord. And what he says is interesting. He's wrestling all night. And the angel of the Lord says, stop wrestling. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Beloved, that's how we have to be with God's word. I will not let you go until you provide hope and peace. So let's sink uh, let's let the word sink into us and let us wrestle with this word. Now, as he talks about crucifixion, initially the disciples are confused. In verse 18, they're like, what is he saying? In a little while, we don't know what he's talking about. Like Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, are you asking one another about what I said? In a little while, you will not see me again. In a little while, you will see me. They were confused. Not only were they about to go into a trial, but even presently, they were in a place of confusion. And see, trials, they confuse us. You know, if they, they had been walking with Jesus. Jesus had been defending them, teaching them, showing them the way to go. And now he began to talk about things, and they began to experience things that were confusing. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait. Why is this happening? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you telling us we're about to go suffer when we preach, we're pretty sure that you could defend us from this? Why is this going to happen? Not only are trials confusing in themselves, but we get confused about the word of Jesus in the middle of trials. You know, upon a cursory reading and maybe a, an isolated reading, we can think, well, well, won't you take care of me? Won't you give me everything that I need and the things that I want? Why? Why, when your word says that you will bless me, does it feel as if I'm cursed? One of the verses that really comes to my mind in the middle of trials is from Psalm 119. It says, before I was afflicted, I did not understand your word. Beloved, in the middle of trials, in the middle of that wrestling with God, in that middle of wrestling with his word, when you're looking around like, what in the world is going on? In the middle of all that. The Lord produces understanding of his word. And beloved, that's not simply so that you can answer the question right on a test. It's so that deep and abiding hope is produced in you. Endurance is produced in you. Even in the middle of the trials. What I love about this is that the disciples, they're, they're, they're discussing what's going on, but they're trying to keep it secret. They're like, we're confused. What's going on? I don't understand. What's he talking about? And Jesus knew exactly what they were saying to one another. Beloved, if Jesus knows our hearts and Jesus knows our emotions, why would we keep those from him? No, instead, we need to fill the heavens with our emotions, with what is actually going on. We, 
we pray these, these prayers that are, 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 are not honest. They're, they're pre-packaged. They're, they're prayers that we think we ought to pray. But beloved, what we should be doing is being completely raw, honest, and vulnerable with the Lord. You know, some people have the practice of uh, journaling or writing down their prayers. And, and I do that from time to time. And as I look back in years previous, I see these raw emotions, this confusion and, and, and trouble. And, and why? What is going on? But when I look back, I also remember that the Lord has been faithful to me through them. That in the middle of my trouble, as I look back, I think, man, the Lord sustained me. Beloved, we need to be honest with the Lord. See, there's this idea that, that spiritual maturity is not simply about knowing a lot of information. Spiritual maturity is shown in relational maturity with the Lord and with others. We too often lie to the Lord and we too often lie to one another. And I'm not talking about lying for the sake of lying, we just are not honest about how we feel. And beloved, we will not receive help from the Lord and we will not receive genuine encouragement from one another if we are just not raw and honest. Too, too many times what the disciples in our own hearts just brewing and wondering and full of confusion and doubt when we just need to pour all of that out to the Lord and we need to pour all that out to one another and we can find the Lord will sustain us in that moment. Beloved, I want us to be spiritually mature, relationally mature. We have, there's too many of us that can answer questions on a test, but the maturity is not lived out in life and, and through prayer. Jesus continues, he tells them about the coming sorrow and joy. Verse 20, truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time is coming. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy from you. So when he says you will weep and you will mourn, he is talking about the day of his suffering and crucifixion. He knows that when he goes into his suffering, his disciples will enter confusion and fear and weeping and they will run away and they will flee. See, the death of Jesus brought sorrow to the disciples, but it brought joy to the world. Those who were against God and against Jesus were excited that he was suffering. They were like, finally, we will get rid of him. He can stop telling us the things that we don't want to hear. He can just go away. We see some of the roots of sin, and the sin is rejoicing in what is wrong. It is calling that which is evil good. We need to ask ourselves if what is good as defined by God brings us sorrow or joy. 
too many times we get, we get it so twisted because we look at God's commands. What he says is good and the world tells us that they're burdensome and will lead to our slavery. They will lead to us being repressed. But beloved, the joy, the joy of the Lord comes to us in obedience to his commands, which is a rejoicing in what he says is good. He says in this passage that those in opposition to God will not have lasting joy. There is a happiness that comes from sin that is very short-lived. Because we will see that in the end, God is and was right. He goes on to say, he, starts to, he compares it to a woman in labor. That, that the, the, the pain and sorrow of this life will give way to joy. I have not experienced birth pains, but I know that they are extremely painful and all-consuming, that at that moment, all you can think about is the pain that is, that is in that moment of, 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 of birth. And, and he's saying, like, that, that pain, that all-consuming pain and, 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 and frustration, that sometimes that is the way life is going to be. That in a world that, that is in opposition to God, that we are going to experience pain. But then he goes on to say, but, but that pain, it, it, it pales in comparison to the joy of seeing that child. Beloved, we suffer with Jesus now. We experience pain and affliction now. But there is a sure joy that comes from Jesus. And when we receive that joy, we won't look back in that, at that pain going, oh, no, the joy will eclipse the memory of the pain. You know, one thing that I, I, I think about as I look at this verse is, is when there is uh, uh, someone going through labor, what they need is support. They need a father there supporting. Sometimes they need uh, a friend there supporting. There's a community support. Listen, when we are facing trouble and pain, we need support from one another. Now listen, the support does not take the pain away. It doesn't remove the trouble. But beloved, it gives us strength to endure. So if you find yourself in this moment of life going, I am in pain, this feels frustrating, I can't see the end. Do not remain by yourself, but reach out to others so that we can bear and support one another together. In verse 22, it says, it says, you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice. And listen, no one will take away your joy from you. What Jesus will accomplish means that your joy will not be taken away because your joy, our joy, is connected to his resurrection. That is where our hope comes from. Because Jesus has defeated death and he reigns victoriously, we can have hope right now. Our sins are done away with. Our future hope is secure. Nothing in this world changes the fact that Jesus got up out of the grave. And he continues to tell them more benefits of his work. Look at verse 23. It says, in that day you will not ask me anything. Truly I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you receive, so that your joy may be complete. 
I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. The time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I tell you plainly about the Father. See, the work of Jesus brings us close to the Father. What, he, he says something interesting. He says, something, he, says, he says, until now you've asked nothing in my name. What is he talking about? What is it? He means that we have not prayed in the benefits of the gospel yet. When we come in the name of Jesus, it's not simple that we said the phrase in the name of Jesus. We are calling to our mind and calling to the Father's mind that Jesus has done away with our sins on the cross, that he has risen from the dead. And because our sins and shame have been taken uh, care of, we can go to the Father without any sense of guilt, without any sense of fear, and with even boldness. See, Jesus takes us with him right next to the Father. There is no sure way of delivery. We don't have a, a, a mailman, if you will, that will lose the mail. When we pray, it is as if our prayers are carried by the resurrection all the way to the throne of the Father. We can pray with confidence. Beloved. So listen, when everything is going crazy, when trials are happening, when trouble is, is there, it's going to tempt you to think, well, why should I pray? Does he care? Does he listen? And Jesus is saying, no, if you look to my resurrection, if you look to what I have done in the gospel, you will know that your prayers will arrive safely and delivered to the Father. Not only that, Jesus reveals the Father. He says, I'm going to speak plainly to you. See, God is revealed to us through prayer. We're meant to have an experiential knowledge of God, which only comes through the gospel. We don't earn a right to be in God's presence, but Jesus has done the work so that we can be with him. See, there's a difference between hearing about something and experiencing something. Jesus is saying, you've heard me teach about the Father. You've seen me demonstrate the Father's power. But because of my death and resurrection, you yourselves are going to experience the Father. Love it. That's the excitement of prayer. Not that we run through a list of questions, but that we are in God's presence because of what Jesus has done. Look at verse 26. It says, On that day you will, ask, you will ask in my name, and I'm not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me, and I believe that I come from God. The Father sent Jesus because of his love. Right, one of the most common verses, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Too often we have this view of God as if he is an angry judge. And sometimes we, we do this weird thing where we pit God the Father against Jesus. As if God is so angry that Jesus has to, to come in the way so that God's anger doesn't burst forth on us. But, beloved, it, it was the Father's idea to provide Salvation for us in Jesus. Salvation was his idea. Don't, don't have it in your mind that God is just angry and rough with you. God saw us in the state of sin, heading towards destruction, and he has intervened for us through Jesus. We have a loving Father. We are accepted because of faith and love. Our acceptance by the Father is not based on how well we did on the performance record on the on the track record of our goodness but it is based on love and trust in Jesus again these are things that don't change in the middle of, tr of trouble the father's love does not change our access to him does not change our acceptance by him doesn't change depending on how good we did in the middle of the suffering 
In fact, Jesus tells them that they will fail. In verse 32, it says, Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Listen, he made these promises of hope, these promises of salvation, when he knew his disciples would fail. He already knew that at the moment of his crucifixion, they would all run away in fear. Yet he made the promises anyway. His promises are not based on our perfection. His promises are based on his character. I love that. See, see if, if you're in the middle of, of trial and you've been frustrated and grumbling and, and maybe angry at God or lashing out, at others, and you might look at God and think, well, man, does his, his promises, does his goodness count for me? But, beloved, he made the promises before you did anything in performance or failure, and he will continue to keep his promises. See, and what I love, too, is it says that, that, that God accomplishes our salvation without our help. He says, all y'all are going to leave me, yet I'm not alone. The Father is with me, the Father and the Son. And the Spirit accomplished our salvation with no help from us. And that's good news because it's not up to our accomplishments, but it's up to his work. And finally, Jesus promises victory. Verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. See, the troubles of this age do not take away the victory of Jesus. Resurrection remains. Victory remains. You know what? I, I, it's a practice that I like to do. In times of trouble, I like to think, what cannot be taken away from me? See, the, the, the fear in trouble is this. The fear is you're fearing, well, this hope or this thing or this financial. Or, you're, you're going through a list of things that you may lose. And it gets... Frustrated and scary, what will I lose? But in those moments, a good practice to think about is, what do I have that cannot be taken away? Well, Jesus has risen from the dead. Listen, forgiveness cannot be taken away. My boldness to enter in God's presence cannot be taken, taken away. My hope that he will make everything right cannot be taken away. The fact that I will be able to live with him in his kingdom cannot be taken away. We will have suffering in this world, but he has conquered the world. And when we remember that he has conquered the world, we understand that our hope cannot be taken away. Jesus conquered and we share his victory through faith and obedience. So what now? What now? We need to know that the pattern of this life, the pattern of the Christian life, is sorrow and joy. See, we have death. Uh, there, there's this death that we kind of experience, like Jesus experienced the suffering, this pain, and we follow in his footsteps, and we experience the suffering and his pain, but because he has risen from the dead, we understand that our resurrection hope is unshakable. And so how do we conquer? How do we overcome? We overcome through endurance and by faith. In the middle of the troubles of this world, we understand that our access to the Father in prayer is not interrupted. It's not disturbed. The, the, the pathway is sure, and it is clear. 
because of the death and resurrection. So when I am running low on hope, when I am running low on endurance, when I need some help, I can run to him. Remember, it says that the Father himself loves you. And he will hear you. Beloved, in these moments of frustration and sorrow, I need to meditate on the resurrection of Jesus. He is risen from the dead, and he's not going to die again. Because of what he has done, I have hope. So let us be people that remind each other of the words and the works of Jesus, so that we can have hope and joy in the middle of trouble. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your mercy and your kindness. Lord, we exalt you, we honor you. Would you give us hope? Would you give us assurance that you have overcome the world? And because we have faith in you, we too can overcome. We love you. In your name, amen.